Before we get started, I wanted to highlight something about the treasure's loose ends the Sons of Turians to go fetch. More in-depth analysis will go into behind-the-scenes episodes and a recap I'm considering at the end of the season. But the big takeaway is, the Irish writers of this story, that is, medieval Christian monks, borrowed from what was legitimate material to them. Mediterranean mythology and history. These locations and items rely on knowledge of antiquity, be it Greco-Roman sources or biblical know-how. Only monks would have known this material, and that material grants weight to the story for this literate class who needed that legitimacy. After all, the monks who wrote this stuff down had a very negative opinion of pagan sources from the local yokels they preached to. But because of time and tide, it's almost impossible to distinguish between what the Irish believed and what the monks said they believe. Of the seven treasures in task, only the final two seem to be separate from the Mediterranean connection, but more on that later. Anyway, enough of that. Previously, on Godessie. Lou, destined to unite the Tuatha Dé Danann and lead them to freedom, has introduced himself to the royal court. Landing a masterstroke against his father's murderers, the sons of Turian, they are bound by oath to retrieve seven items from across the world for Lou as repayment for killing his father. Yet despite this, Lu has alienated key figures of the children of Danu, and may yet face consequences he cannot fathom. Welcome to Godessy. Episode 9. The Sea of Storms. He strummed his hand on the table, pronouncing his boredom for all. It had been five days since the Cayley, five days of storms. Part of Lou wondered if that had been the rage of Turian, the master of storms. His rage was unfathomably deep, as was the power of any storm, even before the small huts of the Tuatha Dé Danann, to the point it was almost impossible to say that Turian truly controlled them, but rather that he summoned them with his rage. Powerful as he was, Turian was overall honorable, so everyone told him. Lou did not see it. As far as he was concerned, Turian was an object of his own rage, perhaps even more so than Balor of the Evil Eye. Balor was a distant evil to him. Turian, or at least his sons, on his orders, had done him an injustice. Sitting across from Turian and his three sons, Lou kept quiet. The four said nothing themselves. Turian, looking furious even at sitting there, while his three sons carried apprehension on their shoulders. Lou almost pitied them for the task the Morrigan had set upon them. It was more than he had possibly imagined. Beside him sat his grandfather, Dean Sept. The last few days had not been informative regarding the man. His interactions with him had been at silent dinners, and that alone. Dean Sept was a god of work, always tinkering in his laboratory and gardens where he grew herbs for his healing concoctions, made devices and new techniques to help his surgeries. He seemed unconcerned with his appearance at work, coming to dinner smeared with oils and balms, yet his etiquette was cold, precise, distant, and exact. His aunts and uncles, by comparison, were warm and fun. He had a particular fondness for his aunt Ermid, whose mastery of herbalism was matched only by her intentionally terrible jokes, and his uncle Mick. His uncle was warm and inviting, asking Lou many questions and giving him every consideration while revealing a different kind of way to look at the Tuatha Dé Danann. Instead of clans, they were divided into potential skills and uses, and innovation should be rewarded over tradition, in his opinion. Tradition, it seemed, had fractured the children of Danu. Though Lou had inquired to more of that, he did not receive an answer as to what it meant. His grandfather put a stop to that conversation and forbade any further discussion of it. Five days of learning the family dynamics of the clan of Dean Set 
had left him antsy, for it was the first time since his arrival back to Ireland that he had any time to rest, to reflect, to get to know his new skin. He was an adult by the standards of his people, and thus could hold his own in the court of his people, yet why was his grandfather here at all? Could he not handle this? They found themselves in a longhouse, surrounded by a series of huts. A ditch dug around the small settlement, and on the eastern side was moored a boat, the banner of Turian acting as its sail. The waves crashed outside and Lou felt at home, reminded of Tunanog. The eastern sky, headed towards Albion, was bright and blue, and soon the sons of Turian would be leaving in that direction. As soon as the king arrived, and mediated the terms, that is. The longhouse had to it two rooms. The long room, where three tables made an almost rectangle shape, missing one side by the wide front doors, which stood now open. The table in the back was the smallest of the three and was elevated, belonging to the king. Only his tall chair sat there, now empty. Another room was behind, presumably where King Brez was, for the entirety of the exterior of the building was surrounded in guards wearing the same standard Lou had seen at Tara. He pulled his hand off the table and met Turian's eyes. He wore the same impatience Lou wore, and something in his gaze called back to when his uncle Mick had said something about tradition fracturing their people. The door opened, everyone stood up in instinct. Through the opening passed the golden-red visage of King Brez. His facial hair was impeccable, a mustache that hung down past his perfectly sculpted chin. Blue eyes peeked out behind perfectly braided blonde hair, atop which sat a crown of bronze. He alone had a weapon, a sword at his side, and today wore a tunic of purple with a white cloak. Two guards followed after him, shutting the door behind them. Lou spied someone in the room there, someone he did not recognize, dressed in black. I do apologize for my lateness. I was consulting some of my legal scholars regarding this situation, and well met, one and all. I know we had this scheduled for just before midday, but that matters little now. Here we are. You'll excuse me for eating. He nodded to the guards at the front of the door, who left. A moment later, they returned. A whole pig on a spit brought forth. The smell was exhilarating, yet only one plate had been produced. Brez pulled back his tunic sleeves and began to carve the pig for himself. Lou felt his grandfather tense at this, and saw Turian do the same. The sons of Turian wore their hunger on their already thin faces. Lou felt much the same, for he had not eaten save bread this morning. Everyone sat down, almost out of dejection, Lou thought. Now let me see if I understand this properly. Kian fathered a son at some point and hid him among the Fearbolg, and now he claims the right to an Arik because the sons of Turian have been proven to have slain Kian. Lou nodded. His grandfather spoke. Your wife confirmed the blood was Kian's, and the Morrigan confirmed the rest. Brez nodded. She would know, I suppose. And then she gave seven items that would equal what Lou has lost? That seems excessive. Turian nodded. I thought so as well. She gave the price, and we must follow it. Brez shrugged. Must we? There was a frozen tension then, the three sons of Turian seeing the way out. Turian, for his part, was horrified at the suggestion, his mouth open, an expression he shared with the insect. Lou furrowed his brow, forgetting his place. Is it not the way of our people to obey the Morrigan? Is she not a manifestation of the sovereign queens of the island? Brez shrugged again, eating part of the flank. Such an old tradition. My oath is to Eru and her sisters, not to Maka and hers. 
But if the parties agree, then who am I to argue? Brez looked Lou over, seeming to realize something. I've seen you before, in my court. Lou smiled. You must be mistaken. I am often mistaken for my father or my uncles. He shot a glance at Turian. The old man did not correct him. Unlikely. Your father and uncles have never paid homage at my court. Rude, I thought, but I have little use for homeless beggars who wander the countryside. Let those of substance present themselves to my court. Will you, Lou, son of Kian? Lou smiled. If I find substance that might serve you, then yes. Brez shrugged. Likely not. But if you have skills, there are many roles in my court that are not filled. Lou bit his tongue. The reason those roles had not been filled is because no one would fill them. Brez was proving himself every bit the cur others had told him he was. He was glad that Bridget was not here for this. Brez continued. So what terms do I need to confirm? Are we confirmed about length of the time, the nature of some legal wording? I am not the Dagda, thankfully. No offense, Dean said. His grandfather's smile was thin. None taken, though you will find my brother Angus more clever at wordplay than my father. Very true, and so handsome, too. How is he settling into Bruna Boyne? Dean Set shook his head. I have not spoken to my brother in earnest since he tricked our father out of Bruna Boyne. Such a shame to see a family so divided. But I suppose your father isn't here to bridge that gap, is he? For the best, I assure you. His assistance to the Fomorians is much appreciated and helps keep the peace. They were getting off topic again. Brez was not particularly focused, Monarch. Lou broke in. I have no issue with the length of time, though I should think it should take less than a year if the sons of Turians are able sailors. Brian scoffed. I know my way better around sails than you around that famous blade of yours, Lou. Brez perked up, wiping his mouth on his sleeve. Oh, that's right, you have the sword of Nanana McLear, don't you? Is that it, the one with the jeweled hilt at the edge of the hall? He nodded to where all the weapons were being kept. Lou smiled, but did not respond to him. He continued. If the seven tasks are done within a year, I should have no issue with anything else. We will have an accord. What was it that the queen said? We shall quarrel no more? Turian chuckled. You would like that, I should think. But your tasks are impossible. The first six, improbable on their own. Yet you are not of our people. Dian Set has not told you who Mokin is, has he? What the significance of yelling from that hill is? Dian Set did not answer, so Lu had to. No, he has not. Who is Mokin? Turian grinned. Brez listened, eating loudly. Before our people left Lachlan, we lived in the four cities. At Gorias, your great-grandfather, the Dagda, was our chief then. He and the Morrigan united us and led us from there. Yet, at that time, we had four treasures. The Stone of Fall you must have heard of, as well as the Dagda's Horn of Plenty. The Sword of Light was the third. Lu noted apprehension on Turian's face. The sword belonged to Nawada. Brez did not react, but fear of his reaction was enough to have stopped Turian. The man continued. Yet, you will note we never speak of the fourth, the Spear of Asal. Do you know why? At last, the name made sense. Asal was not a place, but a thing. The Morrigan had been directing him towards this. I do not, Turian. You needn't keep asking you. Assume I know nothing. Turian had a snide remark at that, but did not give it. 
The Dagda tempted fate by taunting Mokin, one of the masters of Goliath. You see, he and his clan, a wide range of sons and daughters, all masters of war, reside near a hill outside the city. To give a cry there is to summon them, and those who cry without reason are slain. You see, fools like the Dagda saw this as a game, so many would attempt to give a yell and flee. None before him had survived, but the Dagda was young then, and so emboldened by his wits, he thought he could try. He carried with him his horn and a spear, then gave a mighty yell. For a man his size, he fled as fast as he could, but as he neared the gates of Gorias, he dropped both items. How could he get them both back? So, for his people, who could not farm, he decided to retrieve the Horn of Plenty. The Spear of Assal was lost, and now Machin has the most powerful spear ever made. Lou supposed he should have felt insulted for the many quips against the Dagda, but he felt none. His great-grandfather had acted foolishly, though no less foolish than any other youth, Turian's own sons included. What does the spear do? Turian grinned more. It guarantees victory. It can be thrown with a word instead of with a hand, and then summoned back with another word. As you can see, a mighty artifact that would make our wars here in Ireland much simpler. Yet we lack it. So when the Morrigan sends my sons to die at the hill of Mokin, yelling like fools, it begs the question, why? Does she wish to see them rectify the Dagda's mistake at the expense of my own family? Lou furrowed his brow. Would it not be the, to the benefit of our people? Turian grew nervous there, realizing with Brez sitting there listening, there was a line to not cross, and they threatened to fall right over it, quarreling. Lou had one thing to his advantage there. He did not care. It would, but consider this, son of Kian. As much as I want the spear for my sons, I would not risk their lives. I value them above all things. I would not go against the will of the Morrigan and have instructed my sons accordingly. They are to yell, then flee into the city and return home with your six trinkets. The Morrigan did not mention us all, did she? Thus, it is of no concern of mine. Whatever victories we gain, it will be by our own hand. Lou shook his head. The spear in hand would guarantee victory. You do not walk into a battle unprepared, Turian. You know that, surely. Brez laughed. Cheeky boy, aren't you? I've heard enough. Let's get these three on their way so I can get back to Tara. Turian held up a hand. Old King Brez, I have a request of Lou. Lou felt his stomach churn. Every night since the Kaylee, he saw her face again, the Phantom Queen telling him that he had a gish placed upon him. Turian had thought about this. He could tell. My son should be given the best transportation to retrieve these items, Lou, son of Kian. Your foster father, Mananen McLear, has many such ways. I request that you lend us use of Inbar, Mananen's horse. He could not contain himself. For all his fear, Lou laughed. You must think me a fool, Turian, to part with the horse. No, Inbar is mine, gifted by Mananen. Turian smiled, and Lou realized what he had done. What was Turian about to ask for? Whatever it was, the gish was clear. Lou must give it to him. Mananen McLear's ship, then? The speed by which it moves is without equal. I request Mananen's ship. Lou stared at Turian. Was that even possible? He could not say no, but was he asking him the impossible? I will request it of him, Turian, for you. 
Tyrion smiled, almost proud of himself. He, like his sons, clearly were surprised it had worked. Yes, that's nice, fairies and all. Get you away, and best of luck. You will need it. Tyrion and his sons rose then, bowed to Brez, and headed out. The Inset did the same, and Lou felt compelled to follow suit. He glared down at Brez, who stared back as he ate a pig too large for him, his mouth filthy. They retrieved their weapons and were gone. Out the door, Dean Set held his grandson back. See them off. I will not, but I will see you at home. I have business to attend to. Watch your tongue and temper while out there, boy, unless you wish not to come home. I was getting used to having a grandson around. Dean Set made for his horse, beside Enba, and rode off. Lou watched him go, then went to the dock. Lou joined the sons of Turian on the beach, keeping his distance. There was a group of bannermen who had come, a few of whom were going with the brothers on their voyage, and they prepared the ship. Upon Lou's arrival, all attention turned to him. Turian, emerging from the ship with gear, yelled down, Fulfill your oath, Oathkeeper! Bring us the ship of Mananan MacLear. How could he? He had never conjured anything so large. Yet with his connection to Tirnanog, he could do it. He knew the ways. Lou strode out onto the beach, and feeling the waters lapping against his legs, began to breathe in rhythm with the waves. His foster father was the lord of the sea, and so it was as close as he could get to any messenger. Not only that, but there might be Andana Shi of the water listening to him, surely. I, Lu, son of Kian, request the ship of Manenen Meklir to see a task completed that will see my destiny fulfilled. Lu held up his arm outstretched to the horizon and felt something leave him, spreading out into the sea like a wave. At first, nothing happened. Lou heard the laughter of the bannermen of the sons of Turian taunting him. They understood little about the workings of magic he knew, but he felt that laughter in his own stomach, that he would have been a fool to even try. Until a mist rolled in from the south, appearing suddenly, moving quickly, he was sure he had failed. Yet there it was, and out of the mist appeared a ship, in the shape of the mist, until it cleared the fog, which receded. The ship was tall, perfectly crafted, of light wood, and had upon it a banner for a sail, bearing three legs stretching from a central point, as if all connected. A strange symbol, it was the symbol of his foster father, Manan McLear. The ship beached itself beside Lou, and Lou patted its bow, shaped like a serpent. I suppose a year would be a reasonable time, if you're incompetent. So I'll give you a year to prove me wrong, sons of Turian. No harm shall come to this ship lest you face the wrath of Mananan, and me by extension. Lou waded out of the water, hand on his blade. The three sons of Turian came closer. Brian glared at him, while Ikar and Akarba seemed nervous. Turian kept his distance, still working to unload the ship, to reload it into Mananan's ship. Lou had a moment. I wish you only the best of luck, sons of Turian. Your success will bring our people great treasure that will, we can use against the Fomorians. And when you return, I will have united our people. And you will be heroes. He felt the magic working and his eyes lit up, ever so subtly, as he caught the glance of all three. He felt the power of his charm upon them, enchanting them. Bring this spear of assault or do not return at all. With that treasure in hand, Ireland will be ours. They seemed dazed, the sons of Turian. Somewhere in the distance, Lou spied a raven. Yes, said Brian. We will 
said Ikar. Return with it or die, repeated Ikarba. Good, said Lou, letting the magic go. I won't keep you any longer. Go forth. He walked past them, his legs drying slowly as he walked from the beach and made for Inbod. As he did, he noted the people who had been in this village were nowhere to be seen, neither helping the sons of Turian nor going about their daily lives. He caught sight of the guards, moving through the walkways, and as he trotted further from the longhouse, they seemed to move faster. There was something off about them. Though they wore the king's colors, the souls that wore the armor did so awkwardly, moving strangely, their bodies dirty. These were not guards, he realized. Drawing Fragarak, he stopped, looking around for a clear sign of one of the guards. There was none suddenly, but then before him appeared a figure in black, the one he had seen in the longhouse. He was old, his gray hair emerging from the hood he wore over his head, and at his side was a spear. He blocked Lou's path. Lou would remove him. He pointed his blade at the man and spurred Enbod onward. He did not see the rope in time. Summoned as if out of the ether, they appeared at Enbod's feet and above the horse's head, tripping the horse and knocking Lou from the back of the horse, straight onto the ground. Fragarak left his hand and breath left his lungs. Stunned, Lou could scarcely move before the guards were upon him. They beat him, with clubs that knocked him senseless until he could only hear ringing. The last thing he saw was the figure in Black's teeth, terrible yellow things, before the bag went over his head and consciousness left him. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by Greg Wright. Additional editing and writing by Sidney Yeager, who can be summoned by C. Music by Scott Buckley, whose amazing Creative Commons music can be found at www.scottbuckley.com.au. Want to support the show? Check us out over on Patreon. Every little bit helps. I hear fairies will clean your kitchen if you do. Want to send water spirits to assault me? Send a message warning me first on social media at The Goddessy Podcast. All those links are in the show notes below. Like us, follow us, screech about my bad Gaelic, yell from hilltops. And if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. For free. Actually, is there a place that sells podcasts? If there is, let me know that too, because... Anyway, Goddessy is back next week. See you then. <laughs>